If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. Welcome to the Explorinate Podcast. Welcome to the Explominate Podcast. I am your host, Rob, and joining me tonight is Ben. Welcome, Ben. What's up, Rob? Not much, man. Good to hear from you. And we've got Drexy. Hello, Drexy. Hey, am I doing this right or are we restarting? No, we're not restarting this. I don't know. You want to restart? Because this, this could be... I don't know. We've done it like five times. Okay, we're going right. to keep going unless Sean Let's screws roll. things up. No, I think we're good. How we going, guys? <laughs> yeah. Welcome from down under. Sean, how you doing? Yeah, not bad, man. Been flat out, but I finally get to sit down to join you guys. So it's pretty good. Yeah, cool. Awesome. This will be the first time in a few months that we've actually gotten a second episode in. I don't know. I'm just saying stuff. I think it'd be great though. So tonight in the back half, we're going to be talking about basically like neutrals and how they play a part in Forex game development or actually just Forex games in, in general, really. And what we think of them and how we think they can improve or what we think that they do right and all that good stuff. But in the first half, we're going to do our news. So let's get into that. First things first, we're going to talk about Stellaris because that's the big old elephant in the room. And Stellaris has its Aquatics and Herbert patch has been, it's been released. They've been, both been released. So the Aquatics species pack, I picked it up because I wanted space dolphins and I'm excited about that. Although I hate the voice. I don't know if you guys have been playing it, but the voiceover is like a piratey, uh, it's this silly piratey comic-y thing that they have. And I, I just don't like it, which, which is unfortunate, but the actual race packs themselves, the little portraits, they're pretty cool. And then Herbert came out too. And with Herbert, they actually, I, I like this custodial staff stuff. It's, it, it seems to be really improving the game because not only are they going through and like, you know, fixing old bugs, but they're also adding some of the, maybe like not content, but like just adding, yeah, I mean, I guess it is content. They're adding like little bits of content that kind of fills in the old stuff that they released a long time ago in the base game. Like in this case, they've added 200 new star names they added 13 new random events to terraforming and stuff like that. And then we have four new asteroid-related anomalies and all these other things. They've, there's, they've basically added a bunch of new little features and new little content pieces. And then they've gone back and, like, you know, basically improved every aspect of the game in a lot of ways. They've added, you know, AI improvements. They've, they've gone back and actually fixed the way reinforcement fleets will attempt to find the fleets that they're trying to reinforce. So they won't go through paths that may not be safe for them and stuff like that. And you know, there's a bunch of stuff that they've gone through and, and 
you know, given a polish pass on. And I really appreciate that. So the team there, the custodial team is doing a great, great thing, a great service to the Stellaris community. And it seems like it's being well-received pretty much across the board. Yeah, I haven't bought it yet, but uh, yeah, that reinforcements thing, that's a nice change because that always annoyed me because, you know, you're in a bit of a fight and suddenly like all your reinforcements are just coming one by one, getting destroyed. It's like annoying. The other thing um, someone mentioned on Discord about the pops are now, it's a lot better. It's still micromanagey, but less micromanagey and they tend to find themselves jobs now, which helps a lot, which they're slowly improving that part. That's probably one of the biggest bugbearers of my game is the whole planning management. And uh, yeah, hopefully that change is a step to improving that. Yeah, it was when they brought the pops in that I kind of dropped off the game. And I don't actually remember that that was the reason. Like I, I quite like, I don't mind micromanaging stuff, providing it's not excessive, you know, like Master of Orion 2 building the same buildings in every every planet. That was just, that wasn't fun. But, you know, a little bit of micromanagement with regards to fine tuning of your empire is fine with me. Um, so, yeah, I mean, if they're making it so that it's more fun for people, then that sounds good. I'm going to try Stellaris at some point. I've just got loads of other stuff that's on my plate. But, you know, it's it sounds like they're in a bit of a, they're on a sort of trajectory, really, and making a lot of changes. And I think that I want to wait for a bit and just see how it ends up before i actually finally play it because i don't want to bounce off it yet again and then just be like you know what i'm done with solaris and say that for like the sixth time yeah i think the next thing that they they, they had a dev diary just you know a couple of days after the aquatic species pack released and said that you know their next order of business is to revisit the unity stuff i guess they want to do like a unity revamp and they have some ideas on how they're going to do that and how they're going to make that system a little bit more fun but they didn't want to talk about it yet so as you said, it sounds like they have a trajectory, like a, a set idea of what they want for Stellaris. And, you know, they're they're making their way through, you know, the, the different pieces of the game that they're, I guess they're, they're you know, they have a, a priority list on which aspects of the game needed love first. And I think they're doing a great job. I'm, I'm, I'm you know, coming from me and coming from somebody who's pretty anti-Stellaris, I, I appreciate the, the work they've been putting in. So it's been great stuff. So, um... We're going to rework our top 10 for its games of all time to add Stellaris. <laughs> you know, we never did add our honorable mentions. It was going to be in our honorable mentions, but we never did that. You know, life gets in the way, but it is in our honorable mentions for those who care. Anyway, Sean, you want to tell us about the Phantom Brigade state of the game update? Sure can. So there's actually two parts to this. The first bit is brace yourself. I've put a blog post going on about the state of the game. Basically, there's been a bunch of people asking when is 1.0, when's it coming to Steam because its exclusivity period on Epic is up basically now, I think. So people have been sort of hanging out to find out what's going on, when is it coming over. So most of it addresses that. Uh, essentially, what it boils down to is they're just saying it'll come over when it's ready. They've, they've got a roadmap of stuff they want to do before they put it on Steam, and that roadmap's not finished. So, And when it is finished, it'll come to Steam. They just don't have a date for it yet. Yeah, the exciting thing for me in that little tidbit the little dev diary was that they're going to overhaul the overworld and make it a little bit more i guess exciting and entertaining and saying that they're you know going to lean into the stealth gameplay a little bit you know that you're they want to capture the feeling of sneaking through hostile territory as they put it and i think that's really exciting because i think that the game the, the tactical battles themselves are fantastic but the like the in between the overworld you know grander strategy level stuff is kind of boring so the fact that they're revisiting that they want to improve that before release sounds exciting and they also are going to start doing like pilot progression and like giving them levels and stuff like that i think that's also cool too 
Yeah. So the overworld thing is actually part two. I've got access to that at the moment. Yeah. So like I said, there's, there's the overworld overhaul, the stealth gameplay that is actually available now on an experimental brand. And there's also the pilot progression. It's sort of going to be like you can have rival pilots and it'll be kind of, from what I understand, it'll be supposed to be sort of like the nemesis system from Shadow of Mordor. Like if you fight a pilot and you beat them, but they eject, they can come back and come after you kind of thing. So there's that. Mm. And then mostly just seems to be, I think it's polish and just adding in stuff that it would need before it goes to Steam. And they're looking at maybe doing a replay system kind of like what Battlestar Galactica Deadlock had. It's been a really highly requested feature that I've seen, and they are working on it, but apparently it's technically difficult to implement. So they are, they do definitely want to do it. It's just a matter of figuring out how. Hey, that's cool. Yeah, that, I, I like the whole Nemesis idea too. That's cool. I feel like more for, more games should be doing that. Like I remember when the Shadow of Mordor stuff came out, like the game and then the sequel, everybody was like, man, this is this Nemesis system, and it's going to be like... You know, that's going to be the next thing and no one's tried to, to do anything, you know, like to, to take their own spin with it. So that'd be cool to see something like that in Phantom Brigade. I remember they were on one of the roguelike radio episodes. They were talking about the Nemesis system in Shadow of Mordor and saying how it was kind of like a direct descendant from the original roguelikes where, you know, when you died, you had this file called a tombstone file and it, it records how where you died and how you died. It was like a high score table. But then they started adding new things in like, you know, like where your character died on the specific dungeon, then there would be a ghost and you could encounter your ghost or ghosts from other players who were on the same server. And that that kind of like progressed into what we've got with sort of Shadow of Mordor, where you've got these really complex systems now of characters that can remember you. And I think that that's something that, you know, I'd like to see in 4X games a little bit somehow. I don't know how you could do it. It's more of a roguelike thing and a roguelite thing for sure. But in the context of something like Phantom Brigade, I can totally see how that would work. Yeah, well, the thing with the Nemesis system, like the Nemesis system is apparently it's been trademarked by Warner Brothers and Monolith. So you can't have the Nemesis system now, but um, obviously you could make something of your own design that works kind of like that, which is what they're going for, I guess. Yeah, good stuff. I think that's going to be a game that's really going to, I mean, like there's clearly there's an audience for it on Steam. And once it hits Steam, especially with those those improvements, I think it's going to do really well. Yeah, definitely. And then in this update that they've got out at the moment, that's got the overworld stuff on it. There's a stealth mechanic, like you've like a power level that you've got to manage kind of thing, and you can use it to either be stealthier but slower or be faster but be visible from further away. Uh, they're trying to balance that out, and they're revamping convoys, to, like the enemy roaming convoys, to make them more dangerous and more useful to you. VFX, the weather effects, it's a yeah massive overworld overhaul, basically. Nice, yeah. I'm excited. I'll have to get in that, that uh, experimental branch and check that out. All right, next up, we also have Stellar Monarch 2, which was, it's been talked about on Silver Lemur's blog for some time now, and he's finally given it a release date for the early access period, and that's going to be December 6th. And as a short recap of what things are going to be different, like what things are going to be changed and improved on from the first Stellar Monarch, I guess he's going to be working on making it an easier to understand game while actually having more depth. So he wants to get rid of the things that didn't really work in Stellar Monarch 1 and and really lean into the things that he thought were fun and, and made Stellar Monarch pretty unique. And then he's going to kind of also reduce some of the mechanics. I think he thinks that a lot of people got bogged down in some of the, you know, the I guess the nitty gritty of some things, which wasn't his idea for Stellar Monarch. He wanted to make it more of a macro level strategy game than, you know, a micro level. And he's also going to redesign the combat system which he, I guess he's recoded from scratch. He's completely made it completely different, and we haven't really seen much of it, so I don't know how to tell you how different it is. And then finally, 
It's also going to be more in the line of like feudal Europe, whereas I guess the first one was kind of modeled after China and maybe like ancient Chinese hierarchies and stuff like that. So he's going to make this one more like of a European, you know, I guess kind of like, you know, I mean, I'm trying to think of, I mean, it's not really Dunish. Dune was more like Middle Eastern, but yeah, anything, you know, they, they had houses and stuff like that in the first game, but I guess it's going to be more, just more European in, in general, like just feeling more European. So yeah, those are the things that he wants to kind of aim for with Stellar Monarch 2, and he sent over a copy, so I'm going to start playing it and see what it's like. I bought the first one, but never really played it. <laughs> I think I bought it because Troy used to speak about it on the podcast all the time. But so far, I mean, I don't really know the first one that well, but just on face value, it looks more like a Stellar Monarch 1.5 rather than a totally new version, which, mm, yeah, well, we'll see. The other thing is it's kind of going to be up against the Alliance of the Sacred Sons, which graphically looks a lot better, in my opinion. I played Salomonic a little bit. Uh, I didn't really stick with it, to be honest, and that wasn't because I didn't think it was a good game. Just yet again, too many games in a small, short space of time. But I didn't mind the presentation. I think that put some people off. It was quite basic. You can tell it's been done by one developer, um, or, you know, like a small team at least. But the concept itself is actually really good. It's an interesting concept. It just sounds like he didn't quite hit the mark with making it that top-down, you know, you are the you are the emperor, and you are you know kind of controlling your subordinates in a sort of you know kind of hands-off way and I, I, there was quite especially with the fleet stuff there seemed to be quite a lot of micromanagement to me so it didn't really it didn't really work but let's see what he does with the sequel i'm kind of interested because i think it's a great idea for a game it looks different to alliance of the sacred sons to me um alliance of the sacred sons is kind of they've got a similar kind of vibe to them but i think they've got a different focus i think alliance of the sacred sons is kind of more focused around the characters and you know, it's got a lot of systems in there, like a lot of different stuff that you're playing with. Whereas Stellarmonic seems more, I think it's probably more important to be focusing on the strategic map side of things. Whereas I think with Alliance of the Sacred Sons, at least from what I've played so far, it's not like a conquest game, really. It's a more of a sort of management thing. So, Rob, can you back me up on that? Yeah, I was about to say you're spot on. Yeah, I mean, Alliance of the Sacred Sons is absolutely more about like your you know, the interpersonal stuff that's going on and the connections you can make and, you know, the things that you have to do politically to make sure that you can stay strong in your position. Whereas Stellar Monarch is definitely absolutely like more of a war game in a lot of ways. So I, I, you know, that was a great assessment there. So I'm really excited about it because I think Stellar Monarch was decent. I actually had fun with it and I think it was cool to see, you know, the alien races and, you know, kind of work these, they, they were, they were basically macro level uh, battles and and you know stuff like that that i really enjoyed about it but there were some mechanics that kind of felt like i was missing out on not knowing much about so you know it seems like he understood that, that once you get into a position where you're implementing gameplay mechanics that kind of felt like they started to get a little a little you know boggy a little you know you get bogged down in some stuff that really kind of took away from the fun that he wants to get rid of those and focus on what made stellar monarch cool so we'll see It'll come out in early access, and like I said, I have it, so maybe I can talk to him about letting me. I don't know if I'm allowed to play it yet, but if I am, I'll maybe throw a YouTube video up and just kind of take a look at it. Next up is Revival Recolonization, which is a game that was actually supposed to come out in late 2021. I can imagine that they are not going to do that anymore because in their newest update to the demo, which is basically just their beta build, it's only like version 0.03 or something like that, so I don't know if they're doing like an iterative build or if that's like the status of the game itself but with the new build 
It's still called alpha, so I imagine that means that they're still probably working on gameplay mechanics that aren't there yet. But they've added new edicts. They've added visual effects for the edicts that they're using. And they also have changed the way diplomacy works. And they've added a lot of new 3D models and stuff like that. So, you know, it seems to be that they're working their way through what they want to to make for... I mean, like, to have in for the base game before... It, I don't know if they're planning on releasing it into early access or not. But I can't imagine that it's anywhere close to being release worthy in 2021 apparently omar from explominate has been playing it or he's played some some form of the game fairly recently and he said that it's kind of bare bones at the moment and probably needs a lot of work so i don't think we're going to see anything released in a while yeah pretty much i mean i've sort of paused playing it and just gonna wait for it to be a bit more in there because yeah i don't really have time to give feedback or whatever so i'll just wait and see but i mean they they always like post every i get an email from her every week or two with uh stuff so they are working pretty hard and full ahead on it so and they have yeah, some they interesting ideas Sorry, yeah Jackson. yeah yeah so yeah just hopefully <laughs> once it gets into beta, i might pop in and take a look yeah i think i just i fired it up today because they just they that new update came out today and you know, some of the issues that I have with the game that I've I've mentioned in my previous Let's Plays were just the UI. I mean, it's it's very much trying to... It's clearly taking a lot of inspiration from, like, the Endless Games, but it feels even less useful than the Endless Games UI, so they need to work on that. But, you know, I like the ideas, and I do like the idea that it could be something that could be played in, you know, just a few hours, because, you know, 4X games tend to, 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 you know, just trudge along for way too long sometimes, so... A game that can be played in a few hours excites me. So hopefully they'll get it right and make a good game out of it. Next up, we have Galactic Civilizations 4. The .065 changelog was released right before the holidays here in America, which was Thanksgiving. But the actual build itself hasn't been released. But the the things that we can be looking forward to are that they're going to add the Archaeans, finally. So they're going to be more of a military faction. And they have some pretty cool command ships that they're going to take care, take advantage of. And then the Drath Freehold, which are, you know, basically, I don't know, maybe they're not like criminals, but they're definitely, you know, all about money and they're going to do whatever the hell it takes to get money. So a lot of their, you know, unique and asymmetric skills and powers are related to getting money, even if it's, you know, through shady or shitty means. And then we have the Galactic Bazaar, which is finally being added. That's something that they carried over from Galactic Civilizations 3. So you can you know, once you have a finance man- minister, you can start selling and buying resources through the bazaar. And the changes of price reflect the, you know, the supply and demand of those resources. And then they've got new policies, bunch of fixes, bunch of bug stuff and all that stuff. So that should be coming probably by the time you hear this. And, you know, that'll be something that I probably want to do a video of because it's been a few builds since I've last done a video on Galactic Civilizations 4. And I enjoy it. So I'm going to probably revisit it and we haven't had much video content lately, so it sounds like a good opportunity. And then a few more items before we segue into our next segment. Next up is, you know, we haven't checked in with Master Magic Reboot, and that's, I don't know, that's a shame, really, because it's made by a team that I think is going to really do it well. And the more I see the dev diaries, the more I realize that at least the, the game will look pretty, because they release a lot of art with it, and it looks really nice. But they have released a dev diary for their latest Q&A, and in it, they are you know, answering questions about the main changes and improvements that they'll, you know, the player can expect over the original game. And it basically they're, you know, they've reinforced the fact that they just want to take the game that was made, you know, almost 30 years ago 
and just make it look the same. I'm sorry, make it look prettier, make it look modern, but take everything else like as far as all the new, all the factions and all the leaders and everything and just bring them forward. So nothing really about the core gameplay is going to change at all whatsoever. They're just going to modernize it. I think one of the uh, challenges that they're going to face with this game is that there's a lot of these Master of Magic clones out now. There's loads of them. So, I mean, if you think about there's Warlock and Warlock 2, then, you know, the Fallen Enchantress games are kind of similar. Um, they're not a million miles away from Heroes of Might and Magic. Basically, the, the the Fantasy 4X market is made of games that are, you know, re- basically reboots of Master of Magic. So that's cool that they're trying to stick to the original plan, um, you know, sorry, to the original formula. But I, I'm, I want to see what it's going to be. Like, why, why am I going to buy that over playing the original? Because especially with Caster of Magic for Windows out now, which makes Master of Magic really easy to play. And, you know, like, you don't have to go through DOSBox. One of Lucid Tactics' friends has also just released a kind of early version of a Master of Magic remake, which is very similar as well. So there's loads of these games now, man. I think it's going to be, it's going to be interesting to see how, how much interest it draws, you know, in amongst all the competition. Yeah, I agreed. I mean, I think the thing they have going for them is that it does look very nice. It's art is pretty damn great. And, you know, the general feel of it seems to be that it's just going to be everything you liked about the game, but prettier and more modern. So, you know, they're going to take away their, I guess they're going through and making sure that some of the like, you know, legacy bugs that still remain in the game won't be, of course, brought over into this game. And, you know, some of the things that made it a little bit more maybe opaque are going to be fixed and made a little bit more clear and just, I don't know, maybe more user friendly in general. I really, this is just a personal thing, but I really, really hope they're looking at Caster of Magic because Master of Magic itself, even without the bugs, is kind of a flawed game. And it's it's a kind of cool sandboxy game, but it's not. there's not enough to it to really make it fun as a sandbox. So it, it needed more direction. And I think Caster of Magic is way better. So I really hope that they're kind of looking at that to, to see what it was in the original Master of Magic that really didn't work and to be able to kind of get an idea of how to balance things out because... You know, if they're going to th- if they're going to keep all the same broken techniques that are in Master of Magic, that's kind of fun, but it's broken, you know. And the AI couldn't play it, so I'm, I'm. This is one of those things. When I heard about it, I was really excited to hear that Slytherin were were handling it because they're competent. You know, they are a competent. Uh, they're a competent publisher, and they back competent developers. But I think there's more of a challenge behind these scenes to this than people realize, especially when I don't know somebody like me who's like a bit of a diehard fan. It's you, you know, it's like I need to see what it is that you're going to do to make this different. Did they uh, have they got the guy who did Caster of Magic or what he's called involved in this or not? Because considering they've released that, wouldn't it be a good idea to bring him in to this project? I know he's not part of Muhar Games, but just an idea. I'm not sure. Um, me- if memory serves me right, he has mentioned it. I just don't remember what he said, so I don't want to comment. But the guy's name's Seravi, at least that's his handle. Yeah, he hangs around on the Realms Beyond forums, which is like an old video gaming for you know, kind of like strategy gaming forum. Go to Realms Beyond and check out what he's been talking about because he's he's likely to. I think I'm I'm sure I've seen posts where he's been talking about the remake and whether he's had any input in it or not. I, I want to say that they talk, they have approached him with you know for ideas, but I'm I don't know. I might just be I might just be making up memories. So, but yeah, I think uh, I, I think they'd be foolish not to talk to him because that guy knows Master of Magic inside out. I, I think that the, the I mean even the non Caster of Magic version, he actually wrote the most recent fan patches. So uh, the what was called the insecticide patch, he actually built on that one and made and gave some of his 
AI changes from Caster of Magic into that patch. So I know that he's done his best with the with the vanilla game, and he's very very. He said basically, and I agree with him that the vanilla Master of Magic is a fundamentally kind of broken game as it is. It doesn't really work. So it, you know, it really needed tightening up in order to make it kind of more fun. But not everybody is like wants that kind of hardcore competitive style of game. And I think it was Lucid Tactics when we talked to him, Drexy. Do you yeah. remember he was talking about Master of Magic and he was saying he likes it, but one of the issues with it is you've got to be really good at it before you can, you know, or you've got to really suck at it hard for a long time before you actually start winning and getting good at it. And I think that that's, that's fair. And I think that's def- it's even more the case with Caster of Magic. So I fully understand why some people don't like that version because it is harder. It's more difficult. So um, I'm, I'm interested to see what whether Muha, you know, kind of take that on board because i think i don't i'm not i'm not interested in just a straight remake of the original master of magic i just don't think that you know as a game it's it stands up by today's standards whereas caster of magic very much does but it's a very hardcore game and it's kind of niche so so we need just like a light version of caster magic with all the we get rid of all the cheesy stuff and you know castro magic but without it i mean i think that they're gonna even even the easiest difficulty settings on castro magic are quite hard and i think that it's because what happens is i don't want to go into it too deeply because it's going to take a lot of time but essentially the ai knows all the strategies the best strategies to use that's that's why castro magic is difficult because you won't really realize it but you'll be playing along quite happily building your empire and all of a sudden you know the flying invisible warships come and you can't you've got no counter for them because you didn't expect it that's brutal for a new player so i think that you know um if they're if they're aiming at kind of like more a, a bigger a bigger gaming gamer market where they want to have people who are not going to get frustrated with it because it's so difficult they at least need to tone down <laughs> the difficulty a little bit so that that would be my recommendation so go with caster of magic because that's a better game but just make sure that the difficulty settings are tweakable because the base game of caster of magic is quite hard right so at the end of the dev diary they've hinted at a very early 2022 beta so maybe some of us can get in on that and help shape the future of this game and maybe you know, our friend here, Ben, can jump in and, and really put his two cents in. So, yeah, I'd love that. That'd be cool. Anyways, we got a few more things real quick. I'm going to knock out. So, we've got, we also, we haven't mentioned this before, but Hooded Horse has announced that Terra Invicta and Falling Frontier, both games that we've been looking at and watching very closely, are delayed until 2022. So, we won't be seeing those until 2022, which is perfectly fine. And then, unfortunately, too, Interstellar Space Genesis, the second expansion, has been pushed into quarter one of 2022 as well, which puts it in competition with Galactic Civilizations 4 and Distant Worlds 2. And I don't think that's a very smart idea. Consider, I mean, like, how often do you have to compete with actual, you know, like, big Space 4X games? So, yeah, that's probably just not the best time to be releasing a game. And then we have, you know, we mentioned this in the last podcast, but the... Adeptus Mechanicus were released for Warhammer 40k Gladius, so you can go check those out. We have Sean, who's been taking a look at it. I don't know if he's going to write up something real quick. Are you going to do something like that? Just write up like a little, you know, short piece on how they play? Yeah, that's the plan. Yeah, I might even try and put something up on the YouTube channel if I can, you know, do figure out how to play well. <laughs> yeah, but no, I'm going to spend a bit more time with it and then write something about it. Perfect, yeah. So we'll have a little something for that. And then we have Imperium's Greek Wars. An autumn patch was released, which kind of fleshes out some of the things that were recently added with the trade stuff and like kind of squash some bugs. And, you know, it's just great to see the guys there continue to work on that game. As I know, it's, you know, it's liked by many. So great stuff. And then last and probably least, in my opinion, (laughs) 
a little dig. So Pax Nova has released a new update, a free update that has addressed some of the bugs and stuff that was, you know, have been longstanding there and some other stuff too as well. And they also released the Tech Supremacy DLC, which introduces some late game technology like like Dyson Spheres, a new powerful enemy type, some new events, a bunch of new weapons and stuff like that to just kind of add some content to the game itself. You know, the one thing that I still have issue with, and, you know, the content was definitely something that I had said that before would, would need to be added in order to make Pax Nova a better game. But the sound design in Pax Nova is, all, like, probably one of the worst sound... Like, I, I just don't normally really pay attention to sound design in games unless it's really bad. And Pax Nova has some of the worst I've ever heard in my life. Like, the lasers just sound completely weak as hell. And, like, nothing... None of the actual movements or weapon types or anything of the game sound or feel great and it just it kind of takes away from the immersion that you could get out of a game like pax nova yeah i noticed the sound was pretty weak in that as well if you uh, for any developers who are listening if you want to check out a game that's got incredibly good punchy sound design you should check out high fleet that is sets a bar for you know audio and visual in games i think oh for sure like you can just i mean the different weapons have a, a different sound to them, and each of the like impacts sound really. I mean, you can feel them almost as you hear them, which is yeah. pretty pretty awesome. Yeah, I dove back into that a little bit as well, and I've got a capital ship that's like designed basically to be a heavy brawler kind of thing. It doesn't have any range gear, and it's got like twelve mm-hmm. guns on it, and it's ridiculous. Like you get in there, you let everything load, and you just open up, and it just like obliterates the whole screen. It's amazing. <laughs> nice. <laughs> we should do an episode about High Fleet at some point. That's a really good game. Like I've really enjoyed that. I've not finished it yet, but it's kind of difficult. But yeah, it's good fun for sure. Yeah, it's a great game, and I don't really feel like it got enough press to be honest. But now that Seth, I don't know if you guys saw Seth that is one of his videos on High Fleet. I'm sure that's gonna blow it up pretty much. Yeah. Hey, hey people. Exactly. All right, great. So that is the news for this period of time. We're gonna go into our topic. As I mentioned before, this week's topic is going to be about sort of like the neutral factions that you find within Forex and strategy games and, you know, kind of how they, you know, it's like in some cases, most cases, I think actually help the game. But, you know, maybe we could talk about sometimes if, if you guys can consider anything, if we've thought of anything in, in which they they really kind of hinder the game or maybe, you know, feel like a drawback to it. But, you know, when we were starting to talk about this topic in general, it was something that you know we we started to think about immediately there was a lot of instances a lot of examples of the neutral factions and you know how a lot of times they actually add a lot of flavor and a lot of immersion to a game you know and and sean's first example was gladius warhammer 40 40k gladius and you know we can talk a lot about that but first it sounds like drexy wants to say something uh yeah remnants sort of precursor those bloody amoebas i hate them things god damn <laughs> ruin my life <laughs> yeah it's stuff like this right so like the the <laughs> neutral factions and also like the the monsters and stuff these these things that really don't have any sort of allegiance or anything like that and they kind of almost play the game like completely separately from wh- what you or 
the other factions are trying to do. And so we were going to talk about how those, you know, affect gameplay and what we like about them and what we think, you know, maybe the new and expanded rules that they could take. I wouldn't mind starting this because I've, I've, this is something that I thought about when we were talking about this topic. Um, what are they for? Like, what, why did you, why, why do we have these neutral factions or things like the barbarians in civilization? And I started thinking about Civ and that's the first game that I can think of where we had this kind of, at least in a 4X game that I can remember where you had these kind of neutral factions. And I think in Civ, it's purely a mechanical thing to kind of prevent you from just spamming your settlers out and moving them out into, you know, like across the land unguarded and just kind of taking as much territory as you can very quickly. There's also a thematic, you know, kind of like fluff reason for them being there as well, you know, because barbarian tribes were a thing. So, um, but I think I think initially, it, I, my analysis is that that was a mechanics thing. They they put that in there basically just to stop you know you just spamming cities out. So I think there's multiple reasons why we have these these factions in games, and I think it's interesting to sort of look at you know why is it they're there and uh, and how that how that's kind of like filtered down into the games that we play now. Because I mean there there are games like let's say, take something like Shadow Empire where mechanically I guess there's probably no real need for you to have to have like neutral factions like you know like in shadow empire would be what you'd call the minor regimes which are kind of npc factions that don't have the same kind of like capabilities as the main ones and the main factions are kind of like other players essentially but they are they they, they still fulfill that role as a roadblock but technically you don't really need them because it's kind of more of a war game in that respect so i just think that it's really interesting this kind of this idea of barbarians you know like the barbarian neutral factions is kind of it's really taken on its own thing and in many games, they don't even need to be there mechanically. They're just there kind of for flavor. Yeah, I mean, not only are they there for flavor, but I think in a lot of games, they've implemented them to allow you to kind of like sharpen your teeth a bit, right? So like, especially like in a game like Gladius or, you know, Fallen Enchantress is another game that comes to mind when we talk about this. You know, these neutral factions, these monsters, whatever it is they may be, are out there to, yeah, as you said, kind of, you know, provide a roadblock to keep people from being able to like spam cities and you know, to basically colonize unchecked. But also I think there's that that like ability to, you know, kind of test the waters and test your your groups and your warriors and kind of get them built up a bit too before you start actually facing off against, you know, your rival factions and stuff like that. So and especially a case like with like with with a with a game like Gladius, right? Like you you start to you if you especially if you have like a hero unit or something like that, you're gonna be able to start like kind of like pushing up against these you know, different animals or whatnot in the game to, to like, sharp, like I said, sharpen your blade, you know, like to level you guys up and kind of, you know, get them ready for what's eventually and inevitably going to come when you start making contact with other, the, the other factions there. I think sort of linked to what you were saying with leveling up, I wonder if maybe it's to give the player something to do as well, because, you know, you're not going to always be building stuff or always engaging in war with other factions. So you're going to need things to fill in the turns where you're not doing stuff. So you're not just clicking in turn. So maybe they're also there to give you things to do. Is there a fucking didgeridoo in the background? I thought it was a donkey. <laughs> what the fuck? That's like man. a donkey. <laughs> I swear to God, that's like the most Australian thing I've ever heard. I could have sworn it was like someone was like, like prepping a didgeridoo in the background. I'm pretty sure that's a cordless drill, actually. Oh, wow. It's, uh, it's does not sound like a cordless drill at all. It sounded like somebody blowing their nose through a horse. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, now that I hear it, it does. I think she's like trying to screw something in that's not actually wanting to go in. Oh, nice. That was <laughs> like, the bit, like the bit's getting stuck? Yeah, I think that's what it is. I love that one of us thought it was a donkey, and the other one, I thought it was a didgeridoo. And 
Man. All right. Cool. Yeah. But so that's a good point, right? So, I mean, the, the idea is that, you know, if there is some of that, I'm sorry, what did you say, Sean? <laughs> <laughs> I, got, I, got donkey I got distracted by your donkey didgeridoo. That's fine. <laughs> we got to leave that in. All right. Um, okay. So what I was thinking was linked to what you were saying about the veterancy systems and leveling up your units against these neutral parties. Also, it's kind of just to give the player something to do. You know, like you're not oh, always going to yes, be building stuff or harvesting right. stuff or going to war. You know, like. Yeah, I guess that, that's exactly what I was trying to get to. Yeah, that's a great point. I think that's a fantastic point because a lot of times, you know, like, you know, and especially in the early stage, you know, the player is kind of focused on developing its infrastructure. I mean, it might be building up some of its armies to kind of like, you know, start defending its own territory and stuff like that. But I do think that it is something to do, right? You have units that you usually start with. And if you're given the opportunity to kind of like, you know, you know, bump them into other things, it does give you something to do. Like you said, it, it also, in a game like Endless Legend, I think too, is is a very good example because a lot, there are a lot of like, you know, there's a lot of neutral factions within Endless Legend. And, you know, the majority of what you're going to be doing with that is, you know, it, it does feel like it's something to do. You know, you're out there exploring, but you're also, you know, able to kind of push up and, and you know, test your waters a little bit. But I, you know, in... That's for me. That's a really good point. I just I, I hadn't thought of it, but it, it really is kind of like a time fill, right? It's it's something to kind of occupy yourself while you're doing these other things that might feel a little bit more mundane, but are also essential to a forex game or a strategy game in general. Yeah, I think you guys got it there. Like I hadn't actually considered that, but they're almost there, like as a, a sort of proving ground. I think you said this, Rob. They're there as like a test before you, you know, if you want to kind of try out the warfare side of things, and you don't want to get into a long war with one of your neighbors especially in a game like Civ that can have like game ending consequences or you know it, it can have consequences that will drastically change the game right if you declare war on someone they never really like you very much afterwards so it gives you the opportunity to kind of you know to kind of flex your muscles test out test out those new arches you've just developed or whatever right and or in a game where you're designing units you know like kind of see how well you've designed your units i mean in a, a stellaris or distant worlds where you're you know attacking these space monsters or whatnot and you have the ability to, you know, kind of mix and match and have some say in your ship design. It's kind of cool to see how well those designs work out for you. So, I mean, in your case, with the remnants of the precursors or just in, in Massive Ryan, Drexy, you know, pushing into those amoebas and stuff. When you have, you know, if you start developing some really big ships and you want to see how well they are, you know, maybe you, you throw them at an amoeba and see if you can actually finally take one out. I think uh, Stellaris has another version I don't know what they're actually called, the sort of pre-tech races you find on some planets where you can, what are they called? Yeah, like the primitive tech, the primitive civilization, the non-spacefaring civilizations. Yeah, right, where you can sort of use them for research. You can maybe just bring them onto your uh, team or you can make them a vassal or you could just exterminate them. That's, uh, they're not a threat at all. They, I mean, they can sit there all game and, you know, but yeah, that's... that's I guess an interesting twist on this that I don't think I've seen before, really. I really like Stellaris in that respect. I think that <clears throat> that's one of the things that Stellaris does really well. Having little game mechanics in that allow you to interact with parts of parts of the game in ways that you don't really get to do in other games. So those pre-warp techs, whatever you want to call them, you know, those kind of un, un those. I, I think it's Stellaris. Don't you have two different types? You've got some that are just completely primitive that you can kind of you can really really mess with. So you can kind of like do the whole. You know, you can Star Trek you, thing. Yeah, you could do like the Star Trek thing, or you know, like the kind of 
you know the sort of new age conspiracy theory stuff where the aliens are kind of talking to people through through their shamans and stuff and you can kind of push their civilizations in different ways but then you've also got the the sort of more standard kind of um, neutral factions as well like you get like the ones in distant worlds which are kind of like pre-warp civilizations where oh yeah they, yeah 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 sure so you've got this it does it approaches it in different ways and i think that gives Stellaris credit where it's due that is cool it's got so many cool little features like that that allow you to that just kind of make you know that flesh out some of the more mundane areas of the forex staple game elements and kind of allow you to interact with them in just a way that's more engaging yeah and that has me thinking too you know like for the most part i think that those neutral factions are a way to kind of you know orient yourself or familiarize yourself with the combat mechanics but very frequent very infrequently do you see them as an opportunity to kind of learn other gameplay mechanics of any of our games and I think it'd be cool if that would be something that they'd start to look at is maybe, you know, maybe if there's an espionage mechanic to your 4X or strategy game that a neutral faction is is introduced and then, you know, the only way you're going to be able to really do or, or say, or, you know, manipulate or exploit the particular neutral faction is if you're able to use your espionage in some ways. So, you know, if you could, if you could find ways to make these natural people oh, they sorry these neutral factions and these neutral units kind of implement and integrate into gameplay mechanics that you know would you know maybe kind of help you as like almost like a tutorial really you know kind of like like i said like kind of sharpen your wits with the the particular mechanic that you know we wouldn't normally be seeing with neutral mechanic or neutral factions like and i'm just the kind of spitballing here but i just feel like if you started to look at ways that you could you know, throw these particular things out in the game and then have you, you know, have a different, a variety of different ways that you could approach the exploitation or, you know, extermination of these neutral factions or even just like the circumvention of these neutral factions. I think that would be a cool way to, you know, kind of push the player into doing things that they wouldn't normally do. This is where I think it's kind of useful to kind of just figure out what it is that they're there for. Um, because, if you kind of understand why, you know, if, for example, with the example that Drexy just gave with Stellaris, that's there to give the player more engagement, right? It's kind of to to flesh the world out, the, the universe out, and make it more engaging. And then you've got the other kind, like, you know, the sort of the roadblock, like in Civ, or oh, there's damn wandering monsters in Master of Magic that just turn up with huge stacks, and they're just there basically to punish you if you don't defend your territory properly. And, you know, there's there's all sorts of, mechanics like that in games as well where it's kind of like there is a bit of a gotcha if you don't do things correctly so i think w w when you start to narrow down exactly what it is that you that these things are trying to do then you can kind of go okay how is it now that the player is going to engage with that you know like what is it for how do we engage with that and i think if you kind of get your head around that then what you're talking about rob is is a lot easier to implement yeah another mechanic i was thinking of it's not actually an rts it's um it's, no sorry it's not a forex it's actually an rts it's called northguard they've actually got a mechanic in there now where there's a neutral faction called the jotnar and you can trade with them and bribe them and get them to join your side and fight for you so you can either leave them there and then their own thing like a roadblock or you can trade with them and get them to ally with you so i don't know maybe that's another interesting one that could be implemented somewhere right so to answer i mean not really answer because i'm gonna try but i don't know if i'm going to but you know, to kind of understand what it is these things are there for, I think that we've kind of got an idea of maybe that they're, they are kind of a filler in some way, but they are, you know, providing, you know, a, a, a less like hard counter to, to some of the exploits that maybe a player would try to, to, you know, to 
trying to exercise, right? So like like you said, I think Ben, going back to your first example of Civilization One, really of having these barbarians that would kind of keep you from getting too out of control, from being able to you know expand wherever you you know damn well pleased. You know, you had to consider, oh crap, like I need to make sure that I'm going out with you know if I'm if I'm sending a settler out, I need to make sure that I'm bringing a warrior out with them. You know, or even in a game like Master of Orion, where you know you're not sending colony ships out, you know, willy nilly, you're sending scout ships out first, and then you're coming back with you know a, a, a few different fighter class ships or something to take out some of these neutral factions if they're stuck at at, at you know particularly good colonies. And that's another thing too. Like you know, if I think about it now that I am sort of spitballing here is that they also they do kind of gatekeep some of the better areas of a game right like you you have like a stellaris or a massive orion and these neutral factions are usually there at a place where you're going to want to get right like you know there might be a fantastic planet and most of the time like in interstellar space genesis you have space dragons or whatever and they're usually at the at the best planets so you know those are those are things that I think are there to kind of gatekeep in some ways, like you were mentioning, but also to kind of steer people away from being able to run run away from the game, and you know also as filler too to kind of help with the immersion and also to help the player have something to do while they're they're starting off or even while you know they've got other things going on that isn't quite to the level of you know waging war with other factions. Yeah, I think it's all of the above. I was just thinking about um, uh, Stars in Shadow. You know how you get the, you get kind of like wandering pirate factions in that, like the Gremak, who will just kind of pop up from time to time. And um, you once you've discovered kind of what area they're in, you can kind of interact with them. So that they, they are there to often to guard like a tasty system. And if you can defeat them, then you'll get a reward for it. But also they will punish you if you've not defended your territories properly, just like the barbarians in Civ. Like, you know, um, if you if you make a city and you don't bother guarding it then the barbarians just can just walk in and kill the city in one go and i'm sure we can all remember how annoying that is it's like the worst thing that can happen to you so yeah i think they've they've got there's there's this kind of myriad reasons why they exist and i think it's so fascinating how different games have started to kind of pile on the flavor and sort of take these kind of factions in different directions i'm going to sound like a stylish fanboy but i think a lot of these games um these factions are it's just like a filler for early and maybe early mid game but with Stellaris, you have like the um, you have the Marauders now, and you have the oh, what are they called those really strong empires, fallen empires as well. The fallen empires as well that are more geared towards late game stuff as well. Yeah, the Marauders with the Khans, aren't they? Yeah, the, the Stellaris is just cool in that respect. I think it I think it excels in this area when it comes to the variety of different factions. Like the fallen empires are awesome. They're just really they're really thematic, really interesting. And then you've, you know, there's that other setting where you've got like the kind of sort of more advanced civilization, like a nemesis, I guess, like, you know, like a big civilization that is much more advanced than everybody else, not necessarily a fallen empire that doesn't want to be interfered with. So like, yeah, again, Stellaris just really excels in, in, uh, in that particular area. Well, and again, as you guys are talking, I think of something else too. I think they're also kind of a gauge of how well you're doing, right? Like a gauge of progression, I could say, is that like, you know, as as you first start in a game, there's going to be neutrals in a lot of these games that you just weren't aren't going to be able to touch, right? Like you mentioned Stellaris again. We're man, <laughs> what the hell's going on here? But we're talking about like fallen empires and stuff like that. And you know these 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 factions are extremely extraordinarily difficult, right? They're extraordinarily powerful, and 
you know, as you start the game, you're like, there's no way I could touch these, right? Like, you don't have the power, you don't have the ship, you know, the fleets, anything. You don't have anything. The technology. But as you progress and as you get towards the end of the game, you can put up a fight with them. In fact, you can destroy them, you know? And I think that's kind of a cool gauge of how well you've progressed through a game and how well, you know, your, you know, faction or whatnot has, has you know, improved itself in that you know like what what once was considered completely impossible is now something that you're able to do and take care of and you know it's a lot like final or sorry and in, in fallen enchantress where you know it, at the very beginning of the game when you are starting off there's definitely you know mobs and monster groups that there's no way in hell you could handle but as you progress through the game and as you get stronger equipment and you get better spells and stuff like that you are able to start handling some of these things much better and you know so i guess in another way too these are kind of like a gauge of progression because you know if if again like in a game like civilization 2 like you know there are times where you aren't capable like especially in the beginning you aren't capable of really fending off the barbarians but you know there will be a com- there will come a time where you're way more powerful and you're kind of no longer you know at their whim so it feels cool and it feels empowering to know like all right well that's no longer something I have to worry about. Or maybe what was something that I probably could never have done is a challenge still, but I'm able to, you know, I'm actually able to complete it. So, yeah, I mean, now that we're talking about it, there's a lot more nuance to these these neutral parties, these neutral characters than I really thought of. I've got two examples of games where I think that the the neutrals have, you know, what we call the neutrals or the independent factions have a different kind of effect on the game. So the first game I'd say would be Distant Worlds Universe. And... Um, in the universe part of the game, once all the patch, or once a specific DLC had been released, and I, I wasn't around at the time, so I don't really remember, but they added the pirates, right? And the pirates allow uh, they they fulfilled a really interesting function. You can use them in order to plug gaps in your economy. So let's say that you're you've got no Caslon, so you're really struggling to get your economy going. You can actually you can hire the pirates and you can pay them to bring in the fuel that you need for your ships. And, you know, maybe there's some luxury resource that you need specifically for your, you know, your specific race in order to get them to grow properly, you know, like for the colony development, you can do that then. Also, they added the ability for pirates to be able to attack your enemies without you, without the enemy actually being at war with you. So the pirates in that respect were like a really, like a a whole faction with a bunch of new game mechanics all added that really, really opened up the possibilities of the game. And it allowed them to actually do this kind of pre-warp start as well, where you know your 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 empire had no warp um, hyperspace technology whatever you know anything that could allow them to get out of their their own solar system and it was the pirates that kind of give you the ability to be able to do that because i, I think you initially you actually find a, a wrecked ship that allows you to to kind of like start researching but the pirates they give you the uh, the communications with other factions around you and they're kind of like a link in this dark age between you and the other surrounding factions. The other game um, is Fallen Enchantress Legendary Heroes. And that game, that really built its, that was really built around the independent stuff as well, because it, it, it was a very quest-based game, right? It had this kind of CRPG sort of element to it. And in that, the I'd say that the uh, the independent factions, they weren't factions so much as, you know, kind of like other players, but they were like wandering monsters and 
creatures that had these set quests paths through them and um you often you would see like these huge giants just kind of like taking a stroll through your territory and you kind of had to avoid them at first and then you they like what, what rob was saying they kind of provide you this marker like how strong am i am i strong enough enough to take that big steel giant out yet or you know the dragon that i've seen kind of like off in the other lands Can, uh, you know am i strong enough to be able to go and adventure into that part of the area but that re- the, but the way that legendary heroes really kind of lent into that style you know into that style of gameplay really gives it a very different flavor to say age of wonders which is a very similar game right it's another one of these master of magic clones but like it the game uh, fallen Chantress legendary hero just to me was so much more immersive because of that because it had these you know it had these kind of like characters and they it had great writing behind them if you like looked at the stories they all you know, in typical kind of star dot comedy fashion, but they had these kind of stories, and they were very recognisable characters. You know, they they weren't procedurally generated. They were there was like a whole bunch of them. They must have spent ages coding up all these different giants and monsters, and you know, these uh, like undead creatures and all sorts of stuff. Man, it was cool. So yeah, uh, <laughs> I'm just thinking that that those are two examples of games basically where they really lent into the kind of playing with the in, in, uh, independent factions and they really added a whole bunch of game mechanics that made their base games just so much more interesting yeah i mean the other cool thing with that is um even if you didn't have a quest to kill some monsters you could just farm them for mats to make more items for your to make your party stronger and stuff like that so yeah it's definitely um probably the game that's most based around the sort of uh independent sort of units Right. And so I think there's also like, you know, actually, you know, we, I kind of should talk to a little bit in this early this podcast, but Pax Nova has done a cool thing where there's independent factions within that game too, that if you befriend and you do the right thing by offer things that are entirely unique to that neutral faction, you know, like there's uh, like maybe items or text that you can only get from neutral factions that you have to befriend and do right by in order to get them from. So, you know, it's game, it's gameplay mechanics like that, that I think, you know, that kind of lean into the, the, you know, uniqueness of neutral factions like that, that make a game better. You know, there's a lot of, I mean, I can think of a few games now at the top of my head that, that have neutral factions in them that really don't seem to function in any real sort of way other than just to be there. And those bother me you know, as much as if they hadn't been in there, to be honest, you know, with Galactic Civilizations 4 right now and Galactic Civilizations 3 in the past, the minor factions were just sort of there. They never really did anything. They never created any sort of conflict with you. You had to create your own conflicts with them if you wanted to. And, you know, if you wanted to invade them, sure, that was a great planet, but there wasn't really anything unique or exciting about interacting with them. Whereas I know now that they, with Galactic Legends 4, like they haven't implemented it yet, but I know that they have the idea of allowing these neutral factions, these minor civilizations to provide with, you know, provide the players, players with something entirely unique that, you know, maybe it's a particular weapon or a particular tech or a particular ship type or something like that, that only these, these neutral or minor factions can provide. And when you start to add stuff like that, I think, you know, again, we talked about immersion. We talked about, you know, kind of like filling out this, you know, maybe lore of the games that we're, we're playing. But when you start doing stuff like that, I really appreciate it. But when you kind of ignore anything, when you kind of ignore all of that and you don't really implement any sort of incentive for interaction with your minor factions or your neutral factions, I'd rather them just not be there, to be honest. 
Yeah, I think the the very existence of neutral factions really paints a picture as to what it is that these games are, right? So the idea that you have a faction that is a neutral faction implicitly sort of states that there is there are other protagonists in the game that are more important, right? You know, or not necessarily more important, but it kind of points at that war game element that 4X has always had in the sense of you are pitting yourself against other players. And in order for a faction to be a neutral faction, it has to be something that isn't... Um, it, it has to be a faction that isn't necessarily playing the same game as all the other, or, you know, as all the other players are. And, oh, damn it. I wanted to tie that into what you were just saying, Rob, but I've completely lost my thread now. But I, um, yeah, I think it's it's worth examining, you know, why it is that we have these factions because there are games that aren't necessarily constructed in the same way as something like Civilization, where you've got a bunch of players all kind of like vying out with the same kind of rule set with these other guys in. You've got games like, say, I don't know, like Crusader Kings, for example. I know it's sort of 4X, but that's just like a game full of neutral factions, essentially. And, you know, in this sort of context of within we're talking about. So it, it depends on the structure of your game is what I'm trying to say. I think basically what's happened is Civ started with them to just basically block you from sending out settlers without protection. You know, you have to deal with these barbarians to expand. And over time, games said, all right, Civ's got this, but over time, they did They've added more flavor to them, and that's why we have them really now. In most games, they just they give you players something to do between wars, and it's just a flavor thing. Like an endless game, heavily based around them as well, and stuff like that. So I think that's the reason why we've had them because Civ had them, but over time they've just evolved to be more, just add more flavor to a game. Yeah, while still being, while while still being perfunctory, right? Like they still perform the same, you know, role. You know, they still they still do what it is that civilizations barbarians did. But I don't know, do they though? I mean the minor factions in Endless Games I mean, you know much more than me, but they're more of a mechanic than a, a roadblock to you in any way. Right, yeah, no, I agree. So I say I would let me let me back up and say that some of them still perform that same role, right? Like you know, you still have your barbarians in Civilization Six, but even like I said with Massive Ryan or Remnants of the Precursors, you know, those neutral factions are keeping you from just willy-nilly sending colony ships out, you know, without any thought. But, you know, there are games like yes, the Endless series where the minor factions have taken on they're they're much more of a lore role in that game. And, you know, and, and also, you know, they have gameplay they have they 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 do affect your gameplay and that you know you can assimilate minor factions for particular reasons that kind of either you know offset your weaknesses or maybe you know further strengthen your strengths but i would just say that you know i mean and for me as a kind of a wrap up to this conversation for myself i i think that there's still ways that we could explore you know like i said before it was something that i kind of let off this entire conversation with with in that I still think there's ways to implement minor factions that help you explore different parts or different ideas of a 4X game that haven't been yet implemented or tried yet. But, you know, I do like that, you know, they, they have taken on like a whole new role. And, you know, kind of to Ben's point for a second too, and then I'm going to shut up, but it would be kind of cool to start seeing minor factions have their own win conditions you know, where they're kind of working completely independently of you and have like completely drastically different victory conditions than you do, you know, like maybe in a, 
in a distant worlds game or, you know, something to that effect, or maybe in a shadow empire type game, you know, it may be the minor factions, their own victory conditions would be and what they're working towards is maybe becoming something like you, like, you know, maybe the minor factions and a minor regime and shadow empire, you know, like if, if they're, what they're working towards is trying to become strong enough and big enough to, start taking on the bad the, the big guys right the factions that you're you're dealing with and maybe through the course of a game you would see these minor factions become major factions you know kind of like you know Europa Universalis or Crusader Kings where these you know once very small domains become huge game players you know I, I, I think that would be cool to see stuff like that to see maybe like you know in Gladius I'm not saying Gladius but like if you have like a group of like you know, space scorpions and they all decide to like gang up and become like a scorpion race of, you know, like (laughs) barbarians or something like that. You know, like, I don't know. It would be cool to see these, these neutrals become, you know, kind of like self-aware and, and start to realize that maybe they could do more to, to provide a bigger threat, you know, and that would, that would be cool. But that's my last point, turning it over to you, Drex. Yeah, I mean, you saying that just made me think of something like a, you could have like a minor faction that you think you're getting something from them and it turns out, say, for example, they have some sort of weird religion and they start, unbeknownst to you, they start spreading it to your people and other factions' people. And then suddenly, like, in between you and another empire, they take space from your empire and their empire because everyone's part of their religion and they people sort of defect to them sort of thing and suddenly they're like a third faction almost that's made up of you and another empire's uh, population <laughs> yeah no it'd be awesome like they've they've convinced all of your people to drink the kool-aid right and then all of a sudden you know this little minor faction that you're kind of just like yeah i'm extorting the shit out of this thing has become a major player in your game i think that would be something cool i think you know that not only would you know provide you know very cool and different stories that kind of play out but it would also, again, it would kind of make you double think about like, you know, or think twice, I'd say double think. I like that. I'm sorry to say that, but it would make you think twice about the kind of, you know, the different factions that you're befriending and getting to know. I know that's like, I mean, a lot of that is like higher level, you know, programming and, you know, kind of pie in the sky ideas, but it would be cool to see stuff like that. Yeah. You know, like you're, you're giving them metals for uh, space drugs and then suddenly, <laughs> <laughs> they've built thousands and thousands of ships and just take over your empire. Yes. Whilst your people are too high to think, it's kind of like uh, the England did with China with the opium wars. <laughs> right, yeah. The whole time that you're providing them metals, they're building giant space fleets that end up coming in and kicking your ass. That'd be hilarious. Well, that'd be realistic because that's pretty much how small factions have to survive in the real world, don't they? They have to get kind of, <clears throat> they have to fight asymmetrically and get up to all sorts of dirty tricks. So, yeah, I like that idea. I think that's really cool. <laughs> it's kind of taking the idea from Europa Universalis. I'm, I'm, you know, like in a lot of ways, there's times where, like, I mean, for me, I've been, a, it's been a while since I played, but I remember there was times where, you know, like Prussia or something like that, a, a, a group that was capable but not really big, you know, made the right moves and had the right treaties. And then the next thing you know, like, you know, they're, they were a one or two province country and now they're 40 provinces big and, you know, they're a huge player of the game. So you know, it would be cool to see, I mean, I'm not saying that it, could, it would, it would really relate to every 4X or strategy game, but it would be cool to start seeing stuff like that. So 
Anyways, I think we've done a pretty good job of kind of summarizing where they came from and what it is they add to the game and where they could go. I mean, there's many, many different possibilities. And, you know, we only kind of touched on where they could improve or maybe where they could, you know, expand from where they are now. But I think that, you know, your I think your imagination could run wild with the ideas and, and, you know, different ways that neutral factions could continue to become more and more part of a game and feel more immersive and stuff like that. So, you know, I think this was a great, ex- I mean, it's weird too. Cause like, it's not even a thing that you really think about, right? Like I've never really considered like the neutral factions of this game are fantastic, but like when you start to talk about them and you start to realize how important they are to a lot of the things we've been talking about, you know, like to gatekeeping and to immersion and, to like you know gameplay and produ- or gameplay mechanic introductions and stuff like that you know you start to realize that like these are things that you know yeah they started from very humble beginnings you know with just with some barbarians in a civilization game to now playing major roles in some of the games that we love and enjoy and hell it's actually made me kind of i don't know appreciate solaris a little bit more than i thought i did oh no it's the end <laughs> right i know it's crazy but yeah, do you guys have anything else that you want to say before we wrap up? One thing I thought I'd ask about real quick. Are there games that you know of that don't have neutral factions? Because I'm trying to think of one off the top of my so head. So does Stars. There you go. No, never mind. <laughs> I just wanted to follow up to the point. I remember I kind of lost my thread earlier, but I remember what it was what I was responding to with Rob. Rob was uh, Rob and Drex, you both made this point that are there is it necessary to have these things in in 4X games or in strategy games? Or are some games just kind of blindly following on from and sort of injecting them in where they're not needed i just want to leave it on that i think that's where i was going with my train of thought before when i was saying you know that the very existence of neutral factions kind of gives you an idea of what it is that you're you know the structure of your game and the way that you are basically playing against other players and there's these minor powers if you don't have that same dynamics you know if for example like europa europa universalis something like this kind of all the factions kind of feel a bit like neutral factions in that respect because there's so many that you don't really have an an you don't necessarily have an obvious uh you know an obvious rival okay if you're playing england you might have spain or portugal or whatever but i just mean that in the sense that i don't think necessarily all games need to have them and i think that the style of game that you're playing will dictate whether they're necessary or not agreed i think that's a great way to end this so we're going to <laughs> on that note guys it was really good i think this was a great discussion and i know that next episode we're going to be choosing a game as we've discussed in the last episode i believe where we kind of decided our new format for this podcast it seems like pretty much every other podcast we're going to be discussing a game at length and then the other podcast of that month would be a gameplay discussion or mechanics discussion or some sort of you know more overarching meta idea of forex strategy or tactics games and we haven't touched on tactics games in a while so maybe that'll be the next thing we talk about is some of the tactics stuff but this is great stuff and i appreciate you guys being here thanks ben for being here tonight cheers rob thanks for letting me talk rabbit on at you for (laughs) endlessly like in caffeine fueled rants about games design (laughs) i love it (laughs) no it's my pleasure i like hearing it and drexy thanks for your input you're you're really good into this buddy i like it free the didgeridoo donkeys (laughs) (laughs) damn it (laughs) yeah whatever you got back there please let the didgeridoo donkey go (laughs) he lives there now he's institutionalized (laughs) nice chained Uh, to Sean's desk 
Yes, Sean, thanks for bringing in the fourth guest, as you always do. No worries. Uh, yeah, sorry. I think I got a bit lost in the middle there, but no, it's, it's good. it was a good conversation to be a part of, so thanks for having me. Like, what is it with Australians having to have like sheep and stuff tied to you at all times, man? Just let the animals go. I know, right? It's <laughs> like, a... you, don't, you can get away from this farm, this arable farmland-like lifestyle and move into the cities <laughs> like everybody else has. I do both, man. I'm on a farm and I'm in the city. I'm in the city now, so... <laughs> There you go. Great stuff. Awesome. Well, this was Rob, Ben, Drexy, and Sean for Explominates. Until next time, keep exploring.